right, let's do what we always do. I'm glad to be here. How about you? Make some noise. Awesome job. Love that we get fired up about being at church. My name is Tony, and I'm one of the pastors on staff here. Thanks for being here. Hey, we got to do this, too. We're going to have a bunch of people who are watching online, Dave and Rhonda and a handful of others always do. So let's welcome them as well right now. Fired up that you're with us. Hey, um, before I dive in, Sam mentioned uh, Hurricane Harvey and us going down there. Great opportunity for you to partner uh, just last night, though, I got a text message from a cousin of mine who lives in Fort Myers, Florida. He's evacuating his home because uh, he can't stay there because Irma's, you know, kicking the tar out of people there. And, uh, and so it becomes a whole lot more real when it's your own flesh, it's your own blood, it's the people that you love and, you, and your friends. And so you all probably have connections to one of these two areas. And so I just ask you, this is an there's never been a better time to pray for some of your family members and friends. And those of you who are coming in, you're going, I don't even know how to pray or what that looks like. You just ask God to show up. Just ask God to be there, that they would feel God's love in the midst of a tragedy. And this is one of the most beautiful ways that the church can respond, can, can step out and be kind of the hands and feet of our faith to people who need the hope and the love of Jesus in this very time. And so I just echo what Sam said. If you have a week off, in October. we love it if you made your way down to Texas, and uh, I just think there'd be no better way to, to just serve people. Also, if you want to give, it's going to be there later this afternoon on our website. You click the link, and it'll actually take you to Samaritan's Purse. There's really not a better organization that we can partner with financially to send kind of resources to than Samaritan's Purse. They're on the ground. That's who's going to kind of lead the trip with this church up in Cedar Falls. Going to be a great time. But hey, second week of Fixer Upper. Kind of pumped about this. There's been some controversy that I'll tell you about in just a second here. But it's really a, a show about these two people, Chip and Joanna Gaines. You guys love these two. If you've seen the show, Chip is kind of the, the high energy, I mean, total goofball. Love kind of him because he reminds me of myself, just annoys, you know, his wife a lot of the times. You know, they're trying to do something serious, and, and Chip is making some goofy remark. Joanna's kind of the driven can see the end product, you know, tells Chip what to do, basically, and they knock it out, and it's awesome. But here's the news. Did you guys hear that Joanna's leaving the show? Did you guys know this? I know some of you are like, oh, no, I'm leaving right now. You know, you're like, you're out of here. But, and so, like, earlier this morning, somebody on the setup team came up to me and was like, hey, I don't know if the series works anymore. You know, Joanna's gone. And so I Google it, and the first seven things on my iPhone is like, Joanna's gone. She's no longer there. It's not because I think they're having a divorce. She's, like, going to launch a lotion line or something like that so and then another person was like that's not true and so there's a big debate you figure it out for yourself but we love chip and joanna why 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 because every time you watch this show like every time i watch this show you leave wanting to do some things to your house so i think that's one of the reasons why our wives love watching it because they're like uh-huh, uh-huh. you know like chip can do it come on tone why can't you do it that just drives me nuts but it made me think of diy projects now before you start to like, oh, is Tony super handy? The answer is no. Everything I do, I ask either my neighbors to help out with or somebody else within the church, like, please, look at these hands. They're not that industrial. You know, like, I need somebody else to help me out. But, like, it, it made me think, like, of the DIY products that I've seen done, and, and it kind of reminded me of how many times I've failed at some of the things that I've tried to do, like even hanging the curtain rod in our bedroom. It's already fell off the wall, and I'm like, why can't I do anything? And so I Googled DIY fails this week, and it reminded me of some of the things I've done, which I just want to show you. Check out this toilet uh, that is duct taped on there. Isn't that great? Like, can you imagine your wife coming up to you going like, hey, Tony, will you fix the toilet? And you're going like, sure. 
whoosh, 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 like duct tape is perfectly fine for a college kid's bathroom, you know, like not going to work. It made me think of like if I were to remodel my kitchen, more than likely my drawers would look like this, you know, like I can't really open anything because I'm an idiot, you know, and then and I think this is actually from my college years where I couldn't fit my chair underneath my desk. So staple, you know, a couple stir sticks to the bottom and you're good. Like DIY is just horrible. But if you were to ask, is this series really about doing it yourself projects or fixing up your home? I'd say, no, it's more about your own life. It's about this idea that each and every one of us have a fixer upper that we can kind of have in our lives. There's really three things that I'm going after in this series. I'll put them all on the screen for you. You are a fixer upper. Each and every one of us are. It's not news to you. You know this. Every time you look in the mirror to brush your teeth, you're staring at a fixer-upper. You're like, dang, I got work to do. You know, like, I got a, I got a lot to do. Um, you have one. You have a fixer-upper. Uh, last night, um, my wife was reading an article, and, and it was of this horrific news of a pilot going to the Philippines to exploit young girls, 10 and 11-year-olds. And, and I just, I mean, me and my wife Carrie instantly both thought, we have to do something. Uh, this is unacceptable. This is a fixer-upper that we can't, just, we can't just swipe right on this. We can't just turn the channel. There's some things that come across your plate, your mind, your heart, that cause you to move into action. That's why we're doing this series. You are a fixer-upper. We all have things that we need to fix up. And I'm not talking about image. I'm talking about heart lifestyle things. We have one. We each have burdens that we carry, that we should carry, that we're called to be a part of it. Some of the things that God has given you gifts to do. You are one. You have one. And the third thing is we are one together. The mere fact, and you might be like, wait a second, I'm not even like grouped in with the we thing here. Like, what are you talking about? Us as a church, City Point Church, we are a fixer-upper. It's why we exist. It's to help people find Jesus, to take steps of faith closer to him. Now, along the way, we do see marriages get stronger. It's incredible how when two people commit their lives to Jesus and put him in the center and they start following what God would ask them to do for their marriage, like don't sleep around and actually love each other and communicate all these things that the Bible teaches about marriage and life and all these things their lives just start to make more sense the way that God would have it go. And it's just this incredible movement that he's doing in and through us together, helping people find their faith and hope and love in Jesus. And so we are one. And this is, this is what we're doing as a church. Now, we launched the series with one question that's going to be the theme question of the whole series, is what's broken in your life that needs fixing? What's broken right now in your life that needs fixing? For some of you, it is your marriage. And you're going, my marriage hasn't been operating the way it should. It hasn't been functioning. We haven't been connecting the way it should for years. And you even, the minute I said it, you go, that's unacceptable. I can't have this anymore. Others of you, there's something that makes your blood boil that you see happening in our corner of Iowa. Maybe it's in your backyard, your community, your schools that you just go, I have to do something about this. And maybe some of you are like me, and you just go, you want to know what's, what breaks my heart? Is, is literally seeing people who don't know Jesus. 
And maybe at times you wonder, like, well, what could I do? I mean, what could I be a part of? Well, it's really the reason why we're looking at this guy named Nehemiah. Nehemiah in the Bible has his own book. It's the story about Nehemiah and what he does, how he fixes up something that was broken. What was broken in his life? The answer was his hometown, Jerusalem. It's this city that had been destroyed. And the little bit of the context on this is you have King Solomon. Solomon is the guy who in the Bible wrote the majority of the Proverbs. So to give you a little, like, oh, who is this guy? All right, big deal. Solomon, big time guy. He's the one who actually builds the majority of Jerusalem. You can read about it in 1 Kings chapter 5 through chapter 9. It's this incredible picture of Solomon, you know, over the 20-year span with 200,000 people building up this incredible temple, this incredible city. Literally, back then, it was one of the sights to see in the world. If you had money, if you had, you know, authority, you were going to see what was going on in Jerusalem because of what Solomon had built there. This was a, you know, it was a key place in the world at that time. Now, what's interesting about Solomon is his heart turned away from God. You have this king who's going after God, and eventually his heart deviates, and he kind of rebels. He kind of goes away from God's plan. Literally, it says this in, uh, I think it's Kings 11, yep, verse 4. It says, Solomon's wives, he started making wrong turns, wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not devoted to the Lord God like his father David had been. And so as a result, here's what happens, history, you could all read it for yourselves. You have Jerusalem get invaded by the Babylonians. God had kind of said, fine, if you want to go your own way, go your own way. And you have King Nebuchadnezzar of the Babylonians. They attack and take into captivity all the Jews. They actually deport them back to Babylon, and you have this this Jewish nation in exile. They don't know where to go because they've just been removed from their home. Nebuchadnezzar actually destroys the whole city. It's in ruins. It's a fixer-upper to the max. Fast forward a few years, as these, you know, this nation is all held captive, you have another king come to power with the Persians who attack the Babylonians. Oh, it's just muddy. I know it's crazy. But you got the Persians who beat out the Babylonians, and they have a different policy. Their policy was... We don't really care if you're here. If you were enslaved with them, you can go back home. And so you literally, the king says, hey, if, if you're a Jew, you can go back home. But not a lot went back home. Why? Because Jerusalem was all destroyed. It was just a mess. And so only a few went home, a few scattered around, and a lot stayed. Nehemiah was one of the guys who stayed. Now you go, why did he stay? It's because he had gotten a job. He started working for the king. Literally, his job in scripture, and you can read about it, is he was the cup bearer. Now, some of you are like, what does that mean? Literally, this is what he did, eight to five. A drink would come across his plate, and he would take a sip, and he'd go, please don't. I don't want to die. I don't want to die. And if he didn't die, he'd hand it over to the king, and the king would drink it. And if he did die, he died, and the king didn't drink it. He was going to protect the king. He was the cup bearer. Kind of a dead-end job. Joke intended. All right, so this is what King, this is, so Nebuchadnezzar's in this spot. Now, to catch you up full spring, where we're at literally in this next verse that I'm going to read, you have Nehemiah who gets news from one of his family members who did go back to Jerusalem. They come to Nehemiah and they literally say this, things aren't going well for those of us who have returned. This is not like an enormous shocker, but something happens in Nehemiah. His heart breaks. It says this, 
they're in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed with fire. Nehemiah says, when I heard this, I sat down and I wept. I mean, just imagine this devastating news that he hears and it stirs him to tears. I mean, he literally can't, he gets weak in the knees. He's going, oh no, I didn't know it was so bad. It says, in fact, for days I mourned, I fasted, and I prayed to the God of heaven. You have Nehemiah who receives this hard news. And he goes, I got to be a part of this. I got to fix this thing up. Now, some of you are going, well, did he have like a background in construction? Did he, did he work for like, did he have a dozer that he's going to go and build this thing up? And the truth is, no, he was a cupbearer. You know, he didn't have really any talent. I mean, this is a dead-end job. What he did have, though, is what a lot of you have, a big heart. And when he heard something that stirred in him so much, it moved him to action. I actually heard this quote by a pastor named Craig Rochelle. To make a difference in this world, you don't have to be the best. I'd argue you don't even have to have all that many talents. What do you have to have? You just have to care deeply. To be the best, it's not really the most important. You just have to care. It's not even about the skills and the talent that you have. It's more about your heart. City Point Church, we were launched with not like the greatest talent in the world. You know that. You listen to me almost every week. You're like, yeah, it's not that good. But like, you want to know what I do have though and what we do have? We have this enormous heartbeat to create a church where unchurched people actually like to show up and where we can come together and feel a part of something bigger than ourselves. And it just makes me think, what are the very things inside of you that you care deeply about? What are the things inside of you and me, that God has uniquely put in us, that we're supposed to move and act on. There's a fixer-upper inside each of us, and I believe God wants to kind of let that come out during these next few weeks, and we're going to watch as Nehemiah moves now from a spot where, you know, he's prayed about it, and he's thought about it, to a spot where he's actually going to move into action. You see, here's what's true about any fixer-upper project in your own house, is when you start something, you can almost expect to step into the unknown. Anytime you tear down a wall, anytime you start to hang something new, you can expect something unknown to pop up. And what we're going to see today is Nehemiah put on a clinic how to handle the unknowns that are about to pass him in this journey. So if you're taking notes, you can jot this down. The first thing that I want to tell you that Nehemiah does to start this fixer-upper project, literally, is he made sure God's hand was on him. How do we start a fixer-upper project? How do we do this? How do we step into this idea? Is you make sure God's hand is on you. This is vital for Nehemiah. He knows it. So literally we have this, this, this stirring. He hears this news and, and, he, and he starts to pray and he starts to fast and he's starting to make a plan in his brain and he knows he needs to go and get some time off from his employer, the king. He knows he needs to ask, like, hey, I know I've been a pretty good cupbearer. I've tasted almost everything you've ever drank, and so far it's 100%. You know, like, can I take a few weeks off and go home, fix this up? And the king actually responds with, yes. He says, you can. And so Nehemiah's going, all right, I'm one for one. Well, maybe I'll ask the king to fund the project, and maybe send me with some troops, and send me with some documents, and send me on my way so I can actually complete this thing. And I love, love, love this verse. 
It says, and the king granted these requests. Check this out. Because the gracious hand of God was on me. We're going to leave this up here for a second because I want you to get this idea that when Nehemiah started his fixer-upper project, he didn't start it because he was so talented, because he had everything going for him. He started it because God's hand was on his life. He knew that with God in his corner, he could tackle some of the biggest issues in his life thing for you to know, when God's on your side, when you're moving in his direction, it's amazing to see the ground you can cover. But the thing that I wonder, oftentimes that you probably wonder, is how do I know he is in my life? How do I make sure God is actually working for me? Well, friends, I know this for my own life, that there's a couple things that I do to connect with God that just give me a little bit more confidence because I know I'm connecting with God routinely, that, that lets me know that God's with me. One of the things that's non-negotiable for my life is showing up to church. And just way to go. It doesn't mean that if you show up to church that, that God's always going to be with you. But I know for me, when I show up to church, I get fueled up for what's ahead. I connect with God in a way that I don't, if I'm not showing up to church. And side note on this, Carrie and I, even on the Sundays that we're not here, we go somewhere else. We go to another church. Just this last July, we took a few weekends off, and we just did some family stuff, but every single, it was almost like twice a week, and Saturday night and Sunday morning, we were connected with other people in a life-giving church. And I just encourage you to do the same thing. It's just a way that you can make sure you're connecting with God. Another thing that I do is I have a one-on-one with a good friend who just asks me some of the hard questions that not a lot of people ask me. Questions, if I can get real vulnerable, like, hey, Tony, are you looking at anything you shouldn't be looking at? Hey, Tony, sorry, Carrie, you're in this service, but are you and your wife connecting intimately enough? Are you guys doing that? I know you're like, well, that's a little weird. But there's a guy in my life who cares enough to ask some of the harder questions. Hey, Tony, things like this. How's your bank account? Not church, yours. Are you spending enough? Are you saving? What's going on? And I love that there's people in my life, and I would encourage you to find people in your life that ask you the hard questions. Why? Not because they are nitpicky and trying to figure out, find holes, to make sure that you're connecting with God and keeping your life on track for God to keep showing up and doing great things. And the other thing that I do, this is just personally, and I encourage all of you to do, is daily connect with God with 15 minutes with God. This is just reading the Bible. Uh, we, have a, we have a kind of a, a, it's called soap that we go through. It's kind of just two chapters a day that I read, and every once in a while I'll journal down some thoughts, but I'm telling you what, when I connect with God, great things happen. I actually had a couple over at our house a couple weeks ago, and uh, somebody from the church, and and awesome time, just we're hanging out, and they asked, and they're new to our, our church, and they asked us a question, me and Carrie, they said, did you ever think that City Point would be where it's at now? And I, I just kind of was like, what are you talking about? So I leaned in a little bit more, I was like, well, tell me again, what, you, what are you trying to ask here? He's like, wait, did you plan for, for us to be where we are, where we are right now? And I was like, are you kidding me? No. I was like, look at me. I couldn't plan, you know, tomorrow. I was like, no, I haven't planned this. And he was like, well, how in the world 
is this going the way it's going? Like, how is this happening? And I said, well, yes, we've, we've done some things to maybe set this thing up, but God's hand is on us. And it's amazing to see, isn't it? When a group of people, you and me and the staff and the people and the key leaders, when we go after God together and we kind of keep the important things important, spend time asking God, what do you want us to do? And just stepping out in obedient faith, just going, all right, God, do you want us to add another staff? Sure, we're going to step. All right, God, do you want us to go to two services instead of one? We did that early on. That was a big move for us. Okay, we're going to do a step of faith here. All right, God, you want us to take another step of faith and give shoes away? That's crazy. We don't have a ton of money, but we're just going to do it. And we just see God's hand on us. Nehemiah, full circle, knew there was something in his life that he was called to be a part of seeing it fixed up. But before he even moved into action, he made sure God was with him. I encourage you to do the same thing. The second thing Nehemiah does is he defines reality. Second thing Nehemiah does is he defines reality. Nehemiah wanted to know what the city was actually like. So he actually made a trip. He didn't just take the advice that was given to him. He just didn't take the family member's word of mouth. He actually makes the trip. And it's essential for us to do this if we want to do a fixer-upper in our own life. If we want to step in and actually get going, we have to define reality as well. This is literally what happens. Nehemiah makes the trip and it says, So I arrived in Jerusalem. And this was no small, you know, just trip. This is an 800-mile journey to Jerusalem. This is three days later, and I just wonder if it took three days for his butt to recover from riding on a horse that long, but it says three days later. He says, I slipped out during the night, taking only a few others with me. I didn't tell anyone what God had put in my heart to do. Key phrase, I'll get to that later, but it says, after dark, I went out through the valley gate towards the jackal well. These are all actual places. Key thought examining all the walls that had been broken down and destroyed by the fire. Nehemiah wanted to define reality. He wanted to examine everything that was going on. Why did he want to do this? I mean, God's hand was on him. He had all the faith in the world. I mean, he, was, he felt God with him. Why did he need to go out and define reality? Here's why. You can jot this down if you want. It's because faith and facts actually go together. And I know some of you in the room, you're like, oh, no, he did not, not in church. Did he really just say faith and facts, not just faith alone? Yeah, faith and facts go together. Friends, I'm telling you what, some of the decisions that we've made here, we've made because we've poured over with them for weeks and weeks, trying to gather some of the data, trying to gather some of the information to make some of the decisions that we make. Faith praying that God will show up, plus facts of kind of the reality of what's happening, go together. Nehemiah knew that if he was going to fix up something in his life, that he would have to gather some of the facts. Big question for you. What are some of the facts right now about your marriage? What are some of the facts right now about your personal finances? See, the truth is, if you never really define reality, you can't really fix it up. You can't really start a fixer-upper project if you don't have the facts of the current state of where you are. Another one might be, what's the current facts of your family, your kids? How are they doing, really? 
What are the current facts of your spiritual life? How are you doing? See, Nehemiah knew that if he was going to accomplish something great, he would need to gather some reality-defining moments of what the wall was, what Jerusalem actually looked like. He didn't want to go into it blind. He wanted to go into it with full knowledge of what was going on, and so he had great faith, made, God's hand, made sure God's hand was on him. He had facts around kind of the reality of the walls that goes on in that same cluster of verses to say that he checked out all the walls, all the gates, every single pile of destruction. He wanted to know the current state, and I think it's healthy for us to do the same thing. But the third thing Nehemiah does, he not only you know, has God's hand on him, not only gathers some information, he got ready for opposition. This is something that Nehemiah does. Fixer upper time. Almost every project that we've ever done at my own house, you get ready for opposition. Something goes wrong. You get into the wall and you find out that, oh, great, I shouldn't have knocked that one down. There's opposition that comes your way. The same is true for Nehemiah. Same is true for us. That when we start something, when we move forward, when we want to make a change in our lives, we can expect that there's going to be some things that come against us, some things that don't make everything go so smooth. If, remember me saying, hold on to this one thought? Nehemiah actually, when he goes out at night, he didn't tell anyone what God had put on his heart to do. Why did he do that? And friends, quite honestly, this is, a, this is a leadership lesson. It's because he knew if he went out telling everybody about what he was about to do before he had all the information ready to make kind of the vision call for what was going to happen, that he gets slaughtered. The people would say back, you don't know what you're doing. You haven't really seen the wall. And so Nehemiah goes out before, gets the information, gathers a team, gets, gets the people together that are going to make the decision and has it ready before he starts releasing information. But opposition still comes. It always does. I remember prior to starting City Point Church and before this thing was ever even a reality of being in a school here. Having the idea come around my, my mind going, I think God wants me to, if I'm going to be in church for the rest of my life, I think he wants me to start something new, to, to maybe write a different story with how it's done. And, and early on, I told a handful of people, and they all basically laughed. I said, you? You're too young. You're not smart enough. You, I mean, you're too disorganized. You don't have what it takes. And it was just a mistake that I made early on of letting it out before all the information was in to get going. Same thing that Nehemiah knows is going to happen. That opposition will come. And here's what comes a few verses later. It says, when Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem, I'll tell you more about these guys next week. When they heard of the plan, he has the plan, but opposition still comes. It says they mocked and ridiculed us, saying, what are you doing? Basically, you don't know what you're doing. Look at you, Nehemiah. You're, you're a, do you remember who you are? You're not good enough to do this? Are you kidding me? Mocked and ridiculed. Again, we'll t this is literally the message next week, and it's going to camp on this idea. How do you go in the face of opposition? How do you do something great in the midst of everybody telling you can't? But opposition comes. Nehemiah knows it. And he expects it. And we do too. When we're going to do something great. We know that not everybody's going to be on the same page. That's why we have to be fueled up 
with what God's doing in our lives, but he doesn't do it alone. The last thing you can jot down, number four, oh, sorry, we'll just go on. The last thing, number four, is this. He uses the power of a team. This is what Nehemiah does. He uses the power of a team. So far, you got Nehemiah, who gets his heart stirred by God. And his heart is so overwhelmed that he actually feels prompted to go stand up before his boss and have his boss send him to action. And, and so he goes and he sees the, the rubbish and the wall actually destroyed. And not only that, he goes, all right, uh, I'm going to get ready for what's ahead. I'm not going to just go into this blind. I'm going to have a plan and I'm going to make a go of this thing. But he doesn't do it alone. He knows that if he's actually going to rebuild something this massive in his life, he's going to need the help of some more people. And so he gathers a team. I love this. Because it's such a great lesson for us. I mean, oftentimes in my own life, I go, if, if I feel called to do something, I want to race out and do it on my own and, and pull up my own bootstraps. But Nehemiah goes, hold on. If I'm going to do something great, I know I'm going to need the help of other people in my life to gather around me. And so I love, I love who he gathers, by the way. In chapter 3, it starts off. He says, the high priest and all his fellow priests, they went to work. So he shares the vision and even has the pastors in town. Like, come on, let's go do this thing. Goes on to say a few verses later gets even better who would come with him he says the goldsmith he repaired the next section this guy's a goldsmith and he's doing something hannah the perfume maker repairs the next perfume maker are you kidding me she's involved too or he's in, great the, another verse later goes on to say this even the district ruler repaired the next section with the help of his daughters and you could go on reading more and more of these people going on but it's in essence what nehemiah is saying is you have to stay at home mom. She got involved. She was a part of the team. Yep, the business owner in town. He got involved. He wanted to play a part on the team. Yep, the football coach and the engineer. Yep, they did too. Yep, the woman who works. Yep, she got involved too. Yep, the kids too. Yep, some of the teenagers in town, they, they decided, you know what, instead of going home and playing video games. I'm actually going to get involved. I'm not going to just sleep in. I'm going to play a role. And you see this team gather, not of all experts in wall building and city repair. You have a unique group of people who catch the vision of rebuilding something that was broken. And amazing things happen because of it. One last thing that I'll put on the screen for you is the quality of your team will actually determine the quality of your life. I believe this to the core of who I am. So who's on your team? The quality of your team will actually determine the quality of your life. For my own life, my wife's on my team. My wife is an all-star. I wouldn't choose anybody else. Me and her are a team. Our girls have no chance of screwing. I mean, they got the best mom, and I, they got a working on it, Dad. You know, like, we're going to give it a shot, but she's on my team. We're committed to building a home. We're a team. I have some friends who are on my team. And you know what? This seems to be like a church who's gathered around saying, we have a unique opportunity to do something great in our corner of Iowa. Washington and the county and the counties that touch us. And I just think if we get 
bought in as a team, we could do something even greater than we know possible. So two questions. Who's on your team? Who are the people who are building into you? The second question is, are you playing a part of this team? Are you on, are you on board with what God is doing here? Sam mentioned that next week's a great opportunity to invite a friend. Are you on the team? You going to play a role? You're going to say, all right, I'm going to get excited about who I can invite, who I can bring, who I can share with and let know about what God's doing at City Point. Or are you not on the team? I would just encourage you. If you want to be a part of seeing something incredible happen, get on the team. Play a part. And we'll see what God does in and through a bunch of people, ordinary people, just like Nehemiah. We see God show up and do the impossible. I want to pray for you, and then we'll sing a song to kind of wrap this up. God, thanks so much for today. God, it's my hope right now that you would stir within us a passion to start a fixer-upper. For some of us, it's to continue on in a fixer-upper that we're already doing. So God, would you, would you prompt the woman in the room right now who's been wrestling for weeks on what she should do, how she should step out in faith? Would you give her the confidence to know that you're with her and would she have the boldness to try? God, I pray for the man in the room who struggled for years with that addiction, that one, and you know what it is if I'm talking about you. And you know it's time for you to start your fixer-upper. And you've had all the excuses in the world. You've thought, ah, but this is going to happen. And you can count on it happening. Opposition always comes. But you're going to step in with faith. You're going to step in with a team. You're going to gather people around you that can move you in the right direction. God, I'm praying for this church to get on board with what God has in store for the fall. God, who are the people that aren't yet invited and included? God, would you stir inside of us to be a part of writing a better story in our corner of Iowa? God, we ask you to do great things. We pray this in your name. Amen. You can stand and sing.